Welcome to another great edition of the sports show. That is our all sports show here from Impact Media. That makes me your host, Jeremy V. Impact York. That makes you my amazing listening audience. And that, of course, that you can still hear in the background, hopefully, is Andrew WK. And hey, I just heard confirmation on something right as we start the show, so that is called service. Let me go ahead and thank my uh, amazing rugby friend for helping me out. Because, yes, we're going to talk rugby. We're going to start there. Obviously, we're going to get into this, to the Georgia State spring game. We're going to talk some United. We are also going to talk some Braves. Uh, a little bit of uh, housekeeping with uh with uh, another baseball note, talk about the new NFL rules, talk a little draft. We are a week away from the NFL draft. So. So, now that we have confirmation on that, told you guys a little bit about what we're going to get into, and let's do that very thing. Let's start by talking rugby Atlanta. Rugby Atlanta, they are, uh, they've had a weird go of it. Um, I think it has been uh, a lot of players in and out uh, because of injuries. They have signed some new players. They, uh, I'm going to tell you about a new one here in a minute. Just got confirmation on how to say his name. I want to make sure to get it right. Uh, but it's, it's uh, trying to get the, you know, I make reference to Good to Great, the book about uh, getting the right people on a bus, on the bus. And then uh, the second part of that is about getting those people in the right seats. Well, I think that's what Rugby Atlanta has been trying to do this year. And, uh, you know, they they played against Austin Elite Rugby over the weekend. And uh, they, they did lose 17-15, to 15 and they lost on a last-second penalty kick that the guy just drilled. I mean, think about like a last-minute field goal, because this was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Austin Elite Rugby made a huge run towards the end, and then... Got the kick. Dang it, right? Dang it. Uh, big things to know from this game. Marco Van Rensburg had a try in the 34th minute for our Rattlers. Uh, Marco Keefe adding to his season total and, and uh, just fantastic run. 
so far this year. He had a try in the 57th minute, and the uh, Petzer uh, kick after, that pretty much is how we got our 15 points. Now, what seemed to really spark the team, even though uh, it really sparked, especially for the Mark O'Keefe try in the 57th minute, is in the 50. That's a 57th. In the 52nd minute, Coach Scott decided to put in uh, Jason Dam for Deacon and uh, and uh, Momsen for Connor Keys. And that seemed to, re- it, it took the team in a different direction, and it sparked them just a super aggressiveness and a, and a super, just some really good run, some really good purity to it. And uh, that's, to me, that's that's what, what led us to uh, get uh, to uh, O'Keefe with the, the second try. And um, this come up a little short. Once again, I thought it was a uh, solid effort. I'm not trying to just use these coach speak words just to just to do it. Uh, no, I'm, I'm using these words because that, that's how I describe it. I even went back and watched it. We had some good runs. We had some good scrums. I like a lot of the things we did. I don't feel like we made a ton of mistakes. We made a couple. You're going to make a couple here and there. Uh, I like the way this team is coming together. But unfortunately, you end up on the uh, on the other side of the win column. They're now 2-3 and three on the year. Uh, still kind of hanging on in the division up towards the top, though, uh, with a huge game coming up. And that game, of course, is part of Rivalry Week against NOLA. That would be New Orleans, or as uh, a lot of people I've spoken to from the area, Nolens. But, uh, New Orleans is going to be in town. Game's supposed to start Saturday at 7 p.m. Supposed to have storms that day. I don't know what time. I'm, you know, I, I was just, like I said, I was just talking to uh, my one of my contacts with the team, uh, John, uh, uh, John Garvin, and uh, yeah, we, we're kind of under the same agreement that uh, if it's going to storm, let it. I mean, it could just torrential downpour. I would rather it not, but if it's going to rain, let it do it from like two to five and then start kind of reducing back around like five thirty six ish. And that means at seven, it may be, it may be just a muddy mess of the field, but we're still going to get a game in. And uh, that's what I'm hoping for. But like I said, that's going to be in the snake pit there at life college, 7 PM this Saturday, 24th. I'm looking forward to it. I was not able to watch last week's game uh, live. Of course, it wasn't a away game in Austin, but I was not able to watch on the Rugby Network as I normally would because I was obviously at uh, Triller Fight Club. Now, there was there was a small... I'm not going to say lull, but there was a small window to where I almost had the opportunity to put the game up on the feet, one of the feats I had, but uh, that did not 
uh, pan out, so I was not able to. I had to go back and watch the game, uh, watch the press conference as well. Um, yeah, Nola, it, to be a rival for, I mean, you need rivals. This was a big game last week, last year, and I very much hope that not only we get this game in, but I hope we end up in the win column. Part of how we are going to do this is we signed a new player this week. We did. Signed a new player. I'm going to scroll back and make sure I say his name right. Okay. This player is a tight head prop, which means he's a mover and a shaker, or a mover and a shover. So I'd call it he is great at scrums and, uh, you know, runs downhill when he has the ball in a bulldozer. It's that, uh, that Indiana Jones boulder behind you. Uh, honestly, you better get out of the way if you're Nola. I wouldn't try to stop this guy. But he's from South Africa. He's a tight head prop, as I said, which means he is a mover and a shover. He is Vickus Groenewald. Uh, He's a big dude. He's a big dude. I saw the picture when he came up. I shared it with you guys. I dug into it a little bit. Man, he's he's going to be fun. He, he's another big dog up front. I look forward. Look forward. See, it's not really a snake reference you can say about a big, a big, you know, big grizzly up front. All I can tell you, it's another big dude that we're going to use in scrums and we're going to use in our pushes. To, to really get down the field, and he's another big dude they're going to have to run through. Good luck. But they're going to have to run through him to get past us for their own tries. That's it. I, I really hope the weather kind of blows off for, for a few hours so that we can get this game in. And uh, either way, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be out there. Um, gosh, I'm, I may look like a Candy bar wrapped in so much plastic, but I'm going to be out there. Hopefully, you guys will be too. Hopefully, we can get, get a win in. Hopefully, we can get this game in and everything. should be a lot of fun. I know I have had just an exceptional time learning a lot of the fundamentals of rugby and, and covering this team. Uh, what started out as, you know, was really just going to catch a game or two last year. It's turned into uh, it being one of my new favorite sports to see live. Hopefully you guys get a chance to do that. They are still at limited seating, but it, that is going to slowly start increasing as we're seeing that across the nation. Uh, Atlanta, I think, is not going to necessarily be at the forefront of allowing more and more people in. I think they're going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack, but either way, I, I think it's going to happen very soon. Make sure you get your tickets and check it out. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Georgia State spring game. You know, I mentioned it a little bit on the last show. But uh, here's what I gathered from the from the spring game. It was a normal format. There was none of this. So the defense gets five points for this happening and two points for this and if the offense does this and, and scores, then it's this. If they do this and not score, it's this. Now, 
it was Team White versus Team Blue. Coach Elliott let them divide up the teams, which means they were slightly uneven as far as, you know, as far as you may have had three left cards on the team, or you may have had uh, two middle linebackers, you know, it, and just things like that, where sometimes you saw people playing out of position, and sometimes they did it just to shake things up or just to be different. Give a guy, you know, uh, an interesting, interesting take of things. Like I said, normal format. So if Team White got in the end zone, well, they got the proper amount of points for that. That you know, you get six points plus the extra point. If Team Blue intercepted a pass and made it in the end zone, no, they didn't. But uh, if they find the end zone, same way. Normal scoring. They said they drafted the teams. Uh, the players, while showing the depth of this squad this year, they were having fun. They were having fun. Like I said, some of them were playing in positions maybe they hadn't played since middle school. Maybe they played it in high school and got converted here. You know, a lot of times you may recruit somebody as a running back, and then when you get them into camp, you make them a – you make them an um, outside linebacker. There may be a corner who was a wide receiver in high school. You know, you move people around all the time. College is usually the, the opportunity to do that. This ultimately did show. This ultimately did show the depth of this team. Because even as Coach Elliott said in the post-game press conference, there were three different offensive lines, like three different, completely different personnel, three different ones, and all of them looked very capable and very good. That's that's incredible. You don't see that. There are three capable quarterbacks on this team. There uh, is obviously... Uh, you always get Quad Brown. You know, we all know Quad from last year. Uh, you also get Darren Granger, who came in from Furman. And you also get uh, McKelly Colaserta, who has been the uh, proverbial backup and in this system for uh, a little bit of time now as well. All three of them looked capable of running this offense. This is something that helped Kennesaw this year and having three capable quarterbacks. So if one gets injured or one's not being as effective, you can give somebody else a shot, and sometimes it works. When you have capable quarterbacks, it tends to work. So, you know, spring game was a lot of fun to go to. It was on Friday night. It was it was really a lot of fun. It was good to see a lot of the uh, the Georgia State crew because, yeah, a lot of us do cover similar things in and around Atlanta, so you, you tend to run into people. You uh, tend to run into similar people in, 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 this, in similar circles. But also in a lot of the different things we cover, we run into completely different groups of media members. And uh, it was good to see the Georgia State crew and uh, meet some of the new faces as well. 
And this should be a fun year. Their schedule, let's see, their season will get kicked off in about 134 days and change, something like that. It uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's uh, it's going to be a great season. I look forward to it. Coach Elliott was excited. Uh, we we were all kind of excited about it, and it was good to get back in the swing of of uh, Georgia State Panther football. Speaking of which, you know, I mentioned the I mentioned Kennesaw the Kennesaw Owls football squad from uh, we did kind of a regular season wrap up. I told you I'll get into their postseason. Uh, talk this week. Well, here's the postseason. The FCS came out with their top 16 bracket. And the Kennesaw Owls were not one of the teams chosen. Not one of the ones selected for that. Uh, I really think that loss at Monmouth may have been the, the thing to really do it. Overall, though, you, you got to look. Just like I said, the the depth this team has, the playing spring ball. When's the last time they played a full schedule in spring? They, I mean, that had to be. I don't know if they ever have. You know, but I felt like Coach Bohannon did did uh, more than more than expected. He had this squad ready to play every week, including Monmouth. Uh, you know, sometimes it's it's just not your day. And, uh, hey, they didn't make the playoffs, but come fall, they, <laughs> they, have, they have a team that is going to be raring to go. And we look forward to the amazing things that's going to happen in the fall for them. But uh, as far as it goes, KSU's season is officially done. FCS playoffs start this Saturday, I believe. Good luck to all involved. Uh, let's talk Atlanta United. Atlanta United. They played their season opener on Saturday. Once again, something I could not watch live. I had to go back and watch it later. It was just Saturday was a... Whew, it was a fantastic day, but it was a loaded day all day long. It was great. Uh, they played against Orlando in Orlando, where they get the proverbial draw. Nil-nil. That means that is three straight clean sheets. That's a soccer term for shutouts. Uh, that also means that in three contests so far this year, two CONCACAF and one MLS regular season, they have scored a total of two goals. Yeah, I'm not worried about that yet because Martinez is just getting back in the flow of things. Lopez has been doing a good job up front. And you're seeing a lot of parts move around. And what I mean by that is, I've kind of explained this before, but what Coach Heinz, or Heinz A, however you say it, I think it's Heinz, likes to do it's a lot like in in little league baseball where when you're playing a, a position let's say you're playing left field and the coach tells you that if the ball is hit 
to the shortstop or the third baseman, even though they are in front of you. We need you to kind of move over and at least be in a path behind them. So if the ball gets past them or they're not able to make the play, somebody can be on top of the ball really quickly. It's about backing up uh, and, and filling in the gaps when other players move out of position. Well, that's very much what this does here. If you have, if you have, let's say Miles Robinson, who typically would be on the back line. Let's say Miles moves up to the midfield to play the ball or to help with an attack, or maybe try to set up uh, Lopez for for a, a shot down the field. Well, then one of the one of the guy maybe maybe Hindman or or Lennon, if they're playing in the in the midfield would drop back to fill that position. So instead of there being one less person on the back line and one extra person in the middle, you kind of swap them out until you can you can officially get people back where they go. I, I very much like this. This is kind of a mix between what Frank DeBoer tried to do with his defense, his defensive scheme, and the offensive scheme of Tata Martinez. It's kind of a mix. It's weird that the, the third head coach of Atlanta is a mix of the first two. Tata super aggressive, Frank DeBoer super defensive. On this one, you get a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving pieces, and a lot of uh, cover behind the guy in front of you. I like it. Uh, Atlanta was aggressive early. The uh, I'm calling me the law firm of the detectives, uh, Mulraney, Lennon, and Heinemann, with a little Miles Robinson as well. But uh, Mulraney and, and Heinemann, of all, were just organized chaos. They were on top of everybody. They were pushing Orlando City. It was uh, it was really you're really seeing you know Anton walks. You're seeing these people that may have joined the team a couple years ago really start to come into their own, start to really define the roles that they're going to play on this team. And uh, who knew that moves you made two or three years ago would really pan out now? But this uh, I really really liking this team. Uh, the defense was very solid. I mean, obviously you didn't give up any goals, but I think I don't have the number in front of me. But Brad Guzan only made three or four saves all day long, and I would say only one, maybe two of those were like super tough. Like only Brad Guzan makes those plays. Defense was solid, though. They really show up when they're really needed. You know, it's not just. Uh, well, they played pretty good defense and just kind of kept everything at bay. It's like, no, the other team, Orlando is a lot better than they were last year. So they are very much capable of creating good opportunities. And they created a few. And that's not a knock on Atlanta or their defense. No, a good team is going to make good decisions that will lead to scoring chances. And when that happens, Guzan knows, or Guzan, however you want to say it, Brad knows that the defense in front of him is not going to let him down, and they didn't. They made things really, really easy on him. Obviously, you want to get points when you take on Orlando City because they are your big rival, and it's rivalry week for sure. But to get the nil-nil draw, I'll take it. I'll take it because the team looks better than they have in the past, past couple years, and... Once Joseph comes back, it's gonna his aggressiveness is gonna free up some other people, and when it does that, I look for a lot more goals to get scored. Now their next game is this Saturday, 
at 8 p.m. It is a home opener. They will be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They uh, hopefully get all the thriller staging and scaffolding down by then. They should. There was a lot of it, though. It was great. Real great set. Uh, but they, uh, Chicago Fire FC will be in town as part of the home opener there. I don't know about your pregame so much. You may just have to get into the stadium and do a little bit of it in there because, once again, we don't really know how these storms are going to go. But either way, this Saturday, 8 p.m., first Chicago Fire, I think very much we could win this. I'm going to say I'm going to say 2-1. to one. Um, You guys already see it now. You guys are going to ask me who is going to score. I'm going to say Lopez and give me Hyman. Why not? Lopez and Hyman. Those are my two scores. Now, moving on. Let's talk a little bit about the Atlanta Braves. They are currently in a series with the New York Yankees. Now, these are not the Yankees of recent times that uh, are the Bronx Bombers. These are more like I don't know. I can't even come up with a good nickname. To be as highly talented as they are, the Yankees are awful. They are like 6-11 and 11 or something like that at this point. It's, uh, I mean, Relatively early in the season. But they need to put something together. But this is not a Yankees podcast at the moment. No, we're going to talk about the Braves. The Braves gave the Yankees a payback win because their opening game, the Braves lost 3-1, to where they pretty much had it going and then fell apart right there in the end with a couple uh, a couple issues and errors that uh, caused them to lose the game. They followed that up, I believe, just last night with a 3-1 to win versus the Yankees, where, uh, the let me tell you, the Braves' bullpen, a lot better than last year. Part of it's change of personnel. Part of it is, I think, I think they're figuring out how to utilize this bullpen for almost maximum effect. They haven't maximized them out yet, but I very much like it. And that's led by people like Will Smith, who came in, last night and and got it done. Very much got it done. And the offense is starting to come around. They're not just relying on the Pablo Sandoval home run. They're not just waiting on Ronald Acuna to hit a home run. It's no, they're starting to spray the ball around a little bit. They're start the bats are coming around. You're seeing this Braves team start to heat up a little bit. Now's a good time to go on a pretty good run and try to get ahead of, of uh, the Phillies, and try to get ahead of Washington, and, and of course, the Mets. And, and, and let's go ahead and say it, and the Marlins. I think the Marlins are some weird wild card this year. But uh, this Braves team, this Braves team, I, I think very much, think very much of them. They have a super, super, just wicked sick roster. And if they can keep it together, I, I see them as probably the second best team in the NL, which makes them the second or third torrential favorite or 
potential favorite maybe for a uh, maybe a, a World Series appearance. They'd have to get through. They're gonna have to get through the Dodgers at some point, or hope somebody else does. But uh, I think they could match up and do pretty good with that. But uh, you know, go Braves. Now I told you there was a little bit of a baseball note. I saw this, and uh, it's it's gonna tie back into the Braves a little bit. Uh, the Mets first baseman Pete Alonso says he is ready to defend his home run derby crown. From 2019. Now, of course, the All-Star game, we know, is no longer in Atlanta. It is what it is. It's in Denver. Okay. But this is, uh, you know, I think baseball is going to push these kinds of stories out a little bit. That Alonzo is ready to defend this, and it's going to be in Coors Field. It's Baseball had to make that hard decision to move the All-Star game. Initially, did they want to? No. Now, also, in making that decision, they had to have a backup venue ready. They usually do, by the way. They usually have a two- or three-city idea in case something happens, uh, rather, you know, whether planned or not. Uh, but baseball is going to uh, try to get the interest back up in the All-Star game. They're going to try to um, – they'll eventually bring it back to Atlanta. I don't know when. But they're going to try to either change your mind on how you think about it or they're going to – or they're going to just kind of semi-move past it and just hope everything works out. We'll see. Lastly, I want to talk a little bit of NFL. Uh, they have some new rules. I kind of wrote down the ones that, that may actually mean anything at all. Some new rules they just passed. On an onside kick, you know, you can only have five offensive players on one side of the kicker, five on the other. That that was already a rule. Well, this year, as far as in the block, which is the first 10 yards or so, 10 or 15, maybe 20 yards. I think it's the first 10 yards. For the defense, you know, they have a 10-yard block they can be in. Uh, They can only have nine in the box, so they're going to have to either drop two or push them a little further back the outside of that box there. So they're putting one less defender, and it's because the offenses are only recovering the onside kick about every, like, 4% 4% of the time, I think they should eventually get rid of it. But instead of getting rid of it, they're trying to make it easier for the offense. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how that works. I think you're promoting more chaos and, and physicality, and, and we'll see. Uh, they're going to start cracking down more on taunting penalties, even though there was only a handful of them this year and a handful of them the year before. But, uh... Early celebrations are one thing. Celebrations in the end zone are, are another. Taunting, you know, making gestures towards the opposing team. That's what they're going to really crack down on. You know, all 11 or so that happened last year. Uh, running backs, wide receivers, I think defensive backs and linebackers are 
going to now be allowed to change over to single digits on their jerseys? Here's the interesting part of this to me. Here's the NFL rule. If you give a couple season notice or so, or if you give so much notice that you're going to swap numbers, the NFL is fine with it. If you decide, if you decide that you are going to change numbers this year, uh, and you let the NFL know, you are responsible for basically buying the entire stock, the warehouse stock of your previous numbers, jerseys. Mainly it's the NFL saying we're not getting stuck with a bunch of jerseys we can't do anything with. Side note for everybody who wants to know what I just took a drink of. That would be the dark roast from the Buttered Udder. You should go see our friends at the Buttered Udder in Bremen and downtown Carrollton. You should go see our friends at Printer's Ale out in Carrollton as well. And uh, if you happen to go to the Buttered Udder, not only is their ice cream amazing, but like I said, uh, I enjoy their coffee. And also, I had a piece of peanut butter pie earlier on the way to the studio. That will pretty much be my dinner. Yeah, you do that. You finish that off with a, a nice, a nice uh, cup of coffee, and it's amazing. Go try any of their amazing flavors. I'll let you try anything. You're, you're going to end up, no matter what, you're going to find at least five or six you like right off the bat. So just trust me on that. Go see our friends, the Buttered Utter and Printer's Ale. Uh, you guys know how to find them. Uh, back to these rules. Uh, solo digits for those players. I don't know why this is a thing. Tom Brady doesn't like it. Uh, I think because it's going to make it more confusing. Maybe he's used to throwing two people with ones or twos on their jerseys. Maybe or ones, twos, or eights. Maybe that's that's his thing. Is that now he's going to have to? It's going to be harder for a quarterback, which is something I don't think people are thinking of. Uh, I, I really don't understand why they're doing this. I, I don't, I don't get it. Is it because they're running out of numbers? Because now you're just crowding up another set of numbers. Uh, lastly, there's going to be replay help. It is what this rule does. This is not a sky judge, which is something they should start doing. This is not an extra judge on the field. That's something else they should try to look into. This is a start. What they are saying is now it is more acceptable and actually encouraged for referees on the field to use their communication devices to either to call up to somebody who is not on the field who may be watching this to uh, help with to help get calls right, especially with replay. So we'll see what happens. But as I said, I'm not going to get too far into it because I am going to get a lot more into it. Next week's show is going to be a lot about the NFL draft. Let me just throw some things out for this year. It is all but certain Trevor Lawrence is going to go one to Jacksonville. We have it under pretty good authority unless the Jets trade the pick for Russell Wilson or something like that. And even then, Seattle may take uh, Zach Wilson. We're pretty sure Zach Wilson's probably going to go number two. Then it gets interesting. 
it gets interesting because we know the 49ers traded up to three. Most people think they're taking Mac Jones. They don't necessarily have to. They could take uh, Trey Lance, who could sit behind Jimmy G for a year. But then once again, that would be like two, almost two full seasons that he has sat on, he has sat and not played. That'd be kind of weird. Or they could take Justin Fields, who we just found out has uh, epileptic seizures occasionally. Um, but he takes medication. And, and there's been, I think, Alan Fanica, the Hall of Famer, or soon-to-be Hall of Famer, had those as well. It can be maintained, and I think he keeps his pretty well maintained. Um, I don't think this should deter people from drafting him. The kid can still play. But it just depends on what the 49ers do there. The uh, The hot topic of conversation is the Falcons at four. Are they going to get a quarterback? Are they going to take Kyle Pitts? I think it is way too early to do that. You could probably trade back into seven, eight, nine-ish and still probably get him or Patrick Sertain or J.C. Horn. Uh, you could go get an offensive lineman, which could help. You could get some defensive help. A lot of things you could do if you're the Falcons. But here's the thing I want to throw out. If anybody is going to move up to four, here are the candidates to look for. Obviously, the Patriots would have a long way to go. But that's not saying at this point they need to go for broke. They just spent all that money. Cam would be a good one-year Band-Aid, but after this year, they're going to turn it over to somebody else. We know that. He doesn't really fit what they're doing, but he's the best option they have. New England is the long shot. The easy answer is the Denver Broncos, who we keep hearing are moving on from Drew Locke. I'll believe it when I see it, but yeah, Elway's job is probably on the line of the next year or so if they don't get the quarterback right. He is like 0 for 8, among other things. So Denver is the the, uh, perennial favorite. But there's another team. There's another team in the middle of that. And that's the Washington football team. They have Ryan Fitzpatrick as their starter. Now, while that's not a problem, he could easily start for a year or whatever. Why not come up and get your quarterback now? Who would they get? Don't know. Depends on who's available. But I also think the Falcons are going to have an easier time trading this pick after the 49ers make the number three selection. Because up until then, you don't know who's going to be on on the board. Like, if I'm Denver and I really like Trey Lance, I don't want to trade now because what if the 49ers take Trey Lance with the third pick? Now you're sitting at four. You're stuck with it. You just gave up a bunch of extra picks for nothing. What if you're the Washington football team and you like Mac Jones? So you trade up to four and the 49ers take Mac Jones right before you. Now, once again, you're stuck. If you're the Patriots and... You really like Justin Fields, and you move all the way up from 15 to five to 4. And then Kyle Shanahan decides he likes Justin Fields, and he takes him at 3. And, yes, those are, of the teams that could move up, those are the targets I think they could go for. I think those are top of theirs. That's just my picks. So it will be interesting to see what happens from there. Uh, like I said, I think Falcons, if you wanted to, I would not take a quarterback. I would drop down to 7, 8, 9-ish. Uh, wherever Washington is at, I think Washington is at nine. As much as that pains me, you would probably take the player. I think my Cowboys could get at ten. But, hey, that's the name of the game. So, 
that's kind of that's just my top five talk there, kind of top tennis talk. Like I said, I'm going to dig a lot more into it next week. But before I leave, I want to talk about this European Super League that started and ended in little to no time. Basically, what it is is most of the top professional soccer teams in Europe. That would be the from the uh, the top six from the EPL. That was the top three from Italy, the top three or so from Spain. Uh, the, I think Germany was in there. Anyway, what it is is these they were going to get together, and what they're saying is is in their prospective leagues, they don't like that they are they are making a ton of money and then having to share it with teams that are not making as much. So why not put all the teams together like this into one super league that would play midweek. It would not affect what the, uh, them playing in their own other leagues, their normal leagues, but they would play midweek games where they would travel to each other. And all of that revenue from all the top teams, because these are the top revenue teams would get put in a pool and then split. So let's say, let's put it in easy terms. So let's say one of these teams makes $10 a game. And when they're playing against one of the non-Super League teams, that team makes 3 or $4 a game. Well, obviously, if, if it were just those two teams, that would be 14. That would mean both teams would make 7. Well, that's great for the team that made 4. But it's not so great for the big team that made 10. They're actually losing on them. You're like, huh. So, I, I kind of understand where they're getting at. But here's what this would do. If they if if they were to make this Super League, now it, it fell apart because the fans, the, I, the fans, give yourself credit. I give you guys a hand. You guys hear that? I'll try to get, I give you guys a hand. The fans banded together and started the protest and started to speak loudly enough, more than loudly enough. They spoke so loud that it dissolved this league in a matter of hours. EPL teams suddenly went, you know what? We don't need this. Because what this would do is this would fuel and pump in more revenue to these big teams, and then they go back to their regular leagues, and instead of having two or three times as much money and funding, to build up their teams and buy whatever players they need to, because there's no cap over there, no salary cap. Instead of having two to three times what some of the other teams, the normal level teams would have, they would now have eight or nine times or better. So you're just making the, the rich richer, and you're just making that gap even bigger. The top six in the EPL would have so much money they could buy anybody they wanted. It would be real hard for these other teams to get anybody, any kind of big-time player, that they needed. So the fact that the European Super League dissolved and did not work, I'm pretty excited about. We need to keep an eye on it. This was, and I give them credit, they made a run at something that people thought was was impossible, and they almost made it work. The problem was they made a run too early. They were not ready for how this played out, because had they been ready and easily countered this, the Super League should be going. But we're going to have to see because this does tie into the NFL as three owners of of uh, three of the six teams from the EPL that were a part of this also own NFL teams. That would be the Glazers, who own Man U, 
and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That would be Stan Kroenke, who owns the L.A. Rams and... Is it Arsenal or Tottenham? He has... I think he has Arsenal. And then... um, There's another one. And they own... I think it's Arsenal. He owns Arsenal. And... Tottenham is also owned, I believe, maybe by the Fenway Trust people with uh, the Boston Red Sox and such. Either way, this could do a trickle down to America. And also, the NCAA is going to be keeping an eye on this, on how this developed and how it came out of nowhere. Because this could lead to the Power Five of college football, the Power Five divisions, trying to split off and do this. They could split off from the NCAA. It's not going to make them happy. But they could split off. NCAA couldn't do a whole lot about it and make their own Super League where each week, instead of getting, um, you know, it's unfortunate to say this, but instead of getting Alabama versus Vanderbilt, we would be getting Alabama versus Penn State, uh, Notre Dame versus USC. We could get Oregon versus UGA. We could get Clemson versus Texas. And these games would be all all season long, every week, those matchups. And the NCAA would still have uh, the other five conferences plus plus the other conferences. What I don't know, it's not it's not the lower five, but I can't think of what you call them. But uh America and, and the NCAA have got to watch because at some point this could be a thing. And, and I, I see it happening in the next couple of years. Uh, it makes total sense. It would be a different ramification than what the Super League was trying to do because the Super League was trying to get the rich to get richer. In this ca- and then they would take it back and, and widen the gap between the top teams in a league and everybody else. Here, this would just take the power of five. And, yeah, a lot of the attention and the money would be in this league, but it wouldn't, well, I guess it would widen the gap a little bit because now a player coming out of high school, he's like, well, I want to go where the glitz and glam is over getting to play maybe the, the team closer to me that I've, that I've seen the whole time. I mean, that, that could be a thing. We'll get more into this as we hear more about it. But, hey, that's going to do it for us this week. Shout out to... All you amazing people that make this show so much fun to do each and every week. This has been The Sports Show. This one called Scales of a Feather. I'm Jeremy the Impact York. We will see you guys next week. Deuces, gooses, and go Rugby ATL. Go Atlanta United. I think I got everybody. We'll see you guys next week.